Paul's wasn't it? I thought there was a special this morning, so I don't know where I got my wires crossed. But uh, Welcome to HBF. It's good to see you this morning. If you're joining us online, we are glad that you're with us. If you have your Bibles, we turn the book of Malachi chapter 4, Malachi chapter 4, and uh, uh, what a wonderful week it's been. I was just worn out. I couldn't get up here because I was so tired. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's been a busy, busy week uh, last week, and it's been wonderful. Um, wonderful week that we've had. I want to I want to thank all those who worked um, so hard for the Easter service, for uh, Jim Boyette's uh, celebration of life, the Vision Conference, and just all the activity that we've had going on. Um, and so, uh, sounds like the military is coming to join us this morning. So, uh, so it was just, it was a great time, and uh, you know God is doing a lot of work, and He desires to bless us to finish his work, right? That was the theme of the conference this last week. And that doesn't end just because the conference ends. It goes on, and the impact of the Vision Conference, uh, you know, continues to go forward. I've had a lot of great reports from different folks that said, hey, Brian, I've been able to witness, I've been able to share, and that's exactly what we're looking for, that, that we want to continue to do the work of God, making that, remember those, uh, uh, the little acronym. Oh, speaking of that, throw me a couple of those shirts, Amy. Uh, I, who remembers, how, I know not everybody was here, but we had a good turnout for the day session. Does anybody remember the ASK acronym? ASK, be careful with that, A-S-K. ASK, does anybody know what that acronym stands for? Because you're not getting a t-shirt unless you do. I want to throw one out. Do you know what it is? What's that? No. Uh, this That's not what, that probably is, but that is not what Brian, Brian, Clark was teaching us. Yeah, what is it? Uh-huh. Right. Ask permission to speak to somebody. So this is what we learned last week. Ask permission. Uh, this was in a day session, so I get that not everybody was able to be here. Ask permission. So that's what we've got to do. Ask for, hey, can, would you like to, can I talk to you about something related to Jesus? Can I talk to you about the gospel? Can I talk to you about the Bible? Whatever. Ask permission to visit with them. Uh, and then share the gospel, right? Take that to the gospel, and then keep the conversation going. I've kind of delayed on you. Here you go. Now, you already got one, didn't you? So she'll be selling those out back. All right, so uh, and we still have these if you guys want one. All right, so uh, praise the Lord. Um, does anybody get to witness and share after Wednesday? Anybody share? I know some of you have because you told me about it. Who's had an opportunity to witness this week? Ashley? Ashley? Okay, awesome. I'm not even going to. There you go. You get a T-shirt. Awesome. Praise the Lord. So that's awesome. That's just a little residue. That's a little holdover from last week. So if you missed the conference, you missed free T-shirt giveaways. That's all you got to know. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that was a good time. We had a great time. So uh, so this morning, um, you know, the Impact Division Conference, as I was saying, uh, and what Lee shared with us is, is going to go on. But this morning, we're going to finish up our study of Malachi 4. As we approach the last words of God to the nation of Israel until the advent of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we know from the, in the Bible that, that, well, not just in the Bible, but in general, words are important, right? Especially last words. Last words are exceedingly important. If you were here last Saturday, right, uh, you saw a video of Pastor Jim, his last words to his family and to us. I mean, that was, that's, you know, what else do you got to say? Why? Because last words are so important. And, and so especially uh, when it's something that's that heavy. Why is that so? Because we all understand that last words uh, are very meaningful. We're, we're thinking very carefully about what we want to communicate, as Jim did. He, he was concise. He didn't go on. Of course, he was weak. And he communicated in video, hey, wife, this is, I love you, thank you. For, for being my wife, and then he meant to the children, he dealt with his children, and then he went to y'all, right? And he gave us all a message of how much he's enjoyed ministering with us. Um, man, uh, that was powerful, and it was meant to be powerful. It wasn't concocted, it wasn't, it wasn't a show, right? It was, it was real. And you guys, when God comes to the end of the word of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, these are his last words before he goes silent for 400 years. They're important words. They're, they're heavy words. They're, they're pregnant with meaning. Packed into Jim's little statement at, in, the, in the service last week was 66 years of life, right? And then whatever life that he's had in Christ. 
heavy, heavy stuff, concise and consolidated. If we had the time to unpack all of that, it would take us, well, I'm, you know what? That's what Ann and her kids and all, all of us are still doing, right? We're unpacking those memories and those, the meaning of what he said. And, and that's why last words are so important. So, so unfortunately, unlike Pastor Jim Boyette's wife and his family and our church, the children of Israel were not as interested in hearing the last words of God before he went silent for 400 years. Think about that. God has something very important to say to his people, but the entire time they're questioning, what are you talking to me? What are you talking about, Jesus? You know, and they're giving him flack, and he's about to go quiet on them for 400 years, and, and they're not really that interested. The last of seven questions of the book of Malachi is found in Malachi 3.13, very appropriate, 13, the number of rebellion. It says, what have we spoken so much against thee? What, what are you talking about, God? So God's glad that they ask questions because he happens to have the answers on recording. And he tells them in Malachi 3, 14 through 15, Ye have said it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that uh, ye have kept his ordinance? And, what have we wa- and, and, uh, and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts. And now we call the proud happy, yea, the work of the wicked uh, are set up. Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. And so they, they're kind of talking back, they're sassing God. So we've already co- covered this passage in previous sermons, but I wanted to remind you that the last thing that you want to be doing when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to take us home, whether it be in death or the rapture of the church or catching away, is arguing with him, right? Having a, having a spat with the Lord. I have known people that have done that. Have you ever met someone that's done that? They, the last words that they said to a loved one, were words of contention and anger and angst, and then God takes that loved one home. I, I literally know of a, of a situation that happened where a mother had that kind of a relationship with her daughter, had every opportunity to reconcile it, but there was bitterness and anger and didn't do it, and then God took her daughter home. Man, that's heavy. That's who we don't want to be. God knows that his love, that God knows his, his love is what Israel needs if she's going to be satisfied. But she continues to seek other gods, just as we do here in Laodicea in this church age. We seek everything else but Jesus, right? And I'm not saying you guys do that. I'm just saying, as a whole, Jesus rebukes the church of Laodicea because, well, we're, we're focused on other things. We're not focused on him. And so we're seeking something or someone else, just as they did in the Old Testament. But like Israel, well, we can't, what? what do you, I'm deaf, I can't hear. I can't, what'd you say, Jesus? As he stands at the door and knocks. It won't be long, and our opportunity to make things right with God and follow him in obedience is over. That's why we've had this vision conference. We've been talking about how important it is to finish his work. By God's grace, uh, we have our hearts right with the Lord. We sang that Psalm 24 just a moment ago, and and that passage deals with, uh, that's, that song we just sang deals with really God who has clean hands and a pure heart. He's the one, Jesus Christ is the one, that the anointed one, that has given us access to eternity. Praise God for that. Today is the day to avail ourselves of God's grace. Listen to, our, to his words, I should say, and return to him. So let's look at the word of God. I'm going to make you stand this morning in honor of God's word because this is the last word. Malachi chapter 4. Let's look at the text. Malachi 4, verses 1 through 6. And we touched on this on Easter, but I want to come back around and give you a couple more messages from this as we conclude it, and then we'll go into the book of 1 John in our next series. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 1. The Bible says, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch but unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall and ye shall tread down the wicked for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that i shall do this saith the lord of hosts remember ye the law of moses my servant which i commanded unto him in horeb for all israel with the statutes and judgments Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and you shall turn, I'm sorry, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with 
a curse. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We're thankful for this book of Malachi, this last chapter of Malachi, and Lord, what that means in the context of time and eternity. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that we would consider your word, that it would be uh, holy to us, Lord, that we would understand that you have set it apart for our hearing, for our learning, for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. And here we are in the ends of the earth. I pray, God, your word would be quickened this morning as we listen, as we hear. Lord, teach us all things whatsoever you've said to us. Lord, for your name's sake, for your glory's sake, we thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I'm going to have a couple things I want to speak on regarding God's last word. The first thing is the, the last word is what provides motiv- motivation um, for us. And it provides biblical motivation. And it, it, it provides for us the heart, really, of biblical motivation. Now, you'll remember that at the beginning of the book of Malachi, we talked about how God says, look, I have loved you, right? I've loved you. So we have here the heart of biblical motivation, and it's found. You say, well, what is that? Well, I'm glad you're asking. Those are good questions. You may remember that, that the opening words, again, were Malachi 1-2. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I love Jacob? He says, you are chosen. You are special people to me. This passage historically is written to the nation of Israel, right? It's also doctrinally applying to the nation of Israel. The only application that we draw from this is, is an inspirational one, as I preached on Easter. So today I want to focus a little bit more on the doctrine. You see, God opened his epistle in, in Malachi uh, with wonderful reminder to Israel that, that he loved them by choosing them to fulfill his plan and establish his kingdom. And you, you may think that that would be great motivation enough to repent. It should be. But seven questions later, God chooses to provide uh, a summarization of his plans in a way to to add additional motivation so Israel can change their situation in relation to worshiping him, right? He he gave them, he says, listen, I'm going to wrap this up. I I don't have any more time to argue with you, so I'm going to give you these six verses, and these six verses ought to provide additional uh, motivation to change their situation in the way they approach worship to the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the first one? Well, the first one is very simple. It's annihilation in a word annihilation if that doesn't motivate you nothing else will right if the goodness of god doesn't lead you to repentance well then hey here you go annihilation annihilation should have a biblical motivation and and that's not meant to be funny that's true i he says in verse one for behold the day cometh that shall burn as an oven and all the proud yea, all that do wickedly shall be stubble and the day that cometh shall burn them up saith the lord of hosts that it shall leave them neither root nor branch now as far as studying your bible it's important that you understand this phrase the day right there's a couple of key phrases the day that day the day of the lord uh, those phrases are always well you, you tell me what is that day or the day referencing some of you d2 students perhaps uh it's associated with the great white throne but that's not exactly what we're talking about Hi, Galen Steve. Good to see you guys. And Sharon's with us this morning. Sorry, I'm a little ADD. Uh, good to have you back. Anybody? I'm giving you time to think. Second coming of Christ. Thank you. I know you guys know that. You're just afraid to say it. It's okay. I'm not, it's not a trick question. It is. This is second coming of Christ. Now, how do we know that? Well, I'm glad you asked. So we, we compare Scripture with Scripture, right? And we look through the Bible. Context is the key. So we go through the Bible. And we see where it appears, and we see the context, and then boom, we understand this is always in reference or shadowing or picturing that day, the coming of the Lord, which is the theme of the Bible. Jesus Christ is the king of his kingdom, and there's coming a day where he's going to claim it, right? That is what the whole Bible rotates around. So that that day, the day, is very important. Now, this is not the rapture or the catching away of the church. This is the day that the Lord Jesus returns to claim his right to his people and his planet and his kingdom. Uh, and so uh, we sometimes this gets confused, the catching away of the church with the date. Now, it's the, and it's easy to do that because uh, the time that the, the, when the Lord returns to catch away his church, it starts a time of tribulation, which kicks all these off. So I, it's easy to kind of get that confused. Uh, the coming of the Lord is associated with both the catching away of the church and his second coming. So it, that's that's cool. If that's kind of a little confusing for you, I understand. I've been there, bought that T-shirt. So you got to you kind of got to 
meditate on these things. Give yourself wholly to them. God will help you straighten that out as you study the Word of God. Now, the day, the day of the Lord is mentioned 27 times in the Bible, that phrase, the day of the Lord. And, and that day is mentioned over 200 times in the Bible. And so this is a really important and very prominent theme. The theme of the Bible, as I've mentioned, many of us think, well, the theme of the Bible is the cross. Well, the cross is super important to us. And that day, the day that Jesus died on the cross is what atoned for our sins. So for Christians, it's huge. But the day that God's looking forward to is the day he returns to claim his throne. And, uh, and so uh, our salvation revolves around the day Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again the third day. But the whole of Scripture points to the day when Jesus returns to reclaim what was lost to sin and has been claimed by Satan. Now, this is why Jesus opens Genesis with the prophecy to defeat Satan through the seed of a woman. You remember that in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15? He says, hey, listen, Satan, you think you're getting funny here with Adam and Eve, but guess what? Through the seed of this weak woman that you attack is going to come your demise. I'm, I'm paraphrasing that, giving you the Brian paraphrase. But I, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to bruise your head, and you're going to bruise my heel. Well, what is that talking about? Well, that's a prophecy uh, of the coming Lord Jesus Christ at his first coming. Okay? But it doesn't just stop there because he comes back at the second coming, and he literally deals, he will deal, he will deal, it hadn't happened yet, he will, will, wheel, not wheel, will deal with Satan as a serpent, and he will crush him. Uh, and so it could be very literal by the time you get to the end of Revelation chapter 20. All right, so the rapture or the catching away of the church is promised by Jesus at his ascension. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 13 through 18, it makes it very clear that there is coming a day where the church will be going and just, bam, we'll be caught up together in the twinkling of an eye. We'll be changed. We'll be caught up to, with the Lord in the clouds. And, uh, and so that is called our blessed hope in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. So we don't know the day or the hour, but we do know the times and the seasons. And the Lord will return for his church before the prophecies concerning Israel in Daniel's 70th week commence and so and you're just like what is daniel 70th week that is the coming time of what's called commonly called the tribulation though it's broken up in what the first three and a half years the beginning of sorrows and then the last three and a half years which is called the great tribulation and jesus sets that forth in an outline for us in matthew chapter 24 i'm not going to get into all those details this morning but just kind of giving you some background there's a prop there's prophecies concerning what god's going to do uh, to both uh, judge satan and the kingdoms of this world, and also redeem a remnant of his people Israel through great tribulation. And so after the catching, this all begins after the catching away of the church, and there will be no restrictions to the powers that be to execute global governance over the planet, claiming the earth is their own. And the, the church will be caught up, and <clears throat> the man of sin, which is Satan, or I mean the Antichrist, will come into power. Actually, I'm sorry, it's the Antichrist. He'll be indwelled by Satan at the midpoint. And so he will come into power after the catching away of the church. He'll be a peacemaker initially, uh, but will engage in war that destroys a third of the earth, a third of the water, a third of the vegetation, uh, like a third of the angels that fell with him. And so it will look like <clears throat> he is God, but he's not. He'll even, he would even deceive the very elect if he could, but he's not going to be that sophisticated. He will be wounded in his head, and he will rise again as Satan is cast out of the second heaven to dwell in him, and, and quicken him in a false resurrection. The entire world will wonder after him, and he will make haste to persecute the nation of Israel and the saints of God. His time will be short. However, at the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, it will conclude by Jesus pouring out uh, seven vials on the earth, uh, seven vials of judgment before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So we know that we know uh, <clears throat> so much more about this today than even the folks in Malachi's day because. God has given to the church the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is what we call commonly the book of Revelation, right? We have all the details laid out about what's coming right up to uh, this day that's being spoken of here in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 1. You didn't know all that was in verse 1 of Malachi chapter 4, did you? Right? So there's a lot here, and I'm just throwing this out. This is one of those messages you may have to go back and listen to again, right? And, uh, and look up some of these references, because I'm going to have to keep moving. But God's got a plan, and God has given to the church the mysteries. Now, the mysteries to us are not mysterious. God has revealed to us seven mysteries, which I'm not going to get into right now. But they include the, the mystery of, of uh, iniquity. We understand who the son of perdition is. There's a lot of details that, that we now know that they didn't even know 
when God was speaking this to the nation of Israel. God has given us his New Testament. He has revealed these things to us so we can understand these things. So I want to talk to you not just about the day and that judgment, but the people. So that day is pointing to the day in Revelation 19 when the Lord returns with his bride and his saints. Notice the judgment of the people who are uh, the object of his wrath. Notice what, and this is, this is heavy, shovey stuff. When you look at this, think about you being in the bullseye here. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven. And all, here's, here's what he's focusing on. And all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the, and the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts. You don't have to, there, you don't have to wonder what he's saying here. He's literally saying there's going to be people that are going to be destroyed when I come back. And they are proud people, and they are wicked people. That is not the gentle Jesus that most people are looking for today. But when you reject Jesus and his goodness, the only thing left then is his just wrath. And so that's why today is the day of salvation. There's coming a day when people's hearts will grow harder and harder after the church is taken out, the indwelling spirit of God that's in us. We are called the pillar and the ground of the truth. The truth will not be promoted in clarity like it is right now. It's going to be obscured and twisted. And the devil's going to use it, and he's going to, and he's going to, man, he's going to have a, his way with the world. The hearts are going to grow colder and colder and harder and harder. It would almost seem hopeless, but it isn't hopeless because of Jesus. The proud and all that do wickedly will be in his target. Now, the Bible says in Matthew, what's that look like? Well, God gives us some hints because in Matthew 24, again, an important chapter where Jesus is laying out some things yet to come. In Matthew 24 and verse 37, this is what Jesus said. He says, but as the days of Noah, it says Noe there, it's, uh, it's how it would be in the Greek. As in the days of Noah were, so also the coming of the Son of Man <coughs> shall also be the coming of the Son of Man. So when Jesus comes back on this day, it will be like the times of Noah. Right? You remember what that was like, not very good. Uh, for as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, uh, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So all shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. I didn't include it in my notes, but you can also see another prophecy where Jesus says, as in the days of Sodom, right? So there's another analogy that you can cross-reference of what it's going to be like before the coming of the Lord. Now, Jesus makes this analogy in Matthew 24 and Luke 17 and just some things, I won't get into all of it, but just, just skimming across the top. What was going on? Well, in those days, there was, you know, paganism was rampant. All right, the worshiping of other gods, the worshiping of the creature instead of the creator. Right, those things were going on big time. Uh, of course, I've mentioned Sodom. You know what was going on there. Immorality, to use a word, was rampant. All kinds of immorality. And even the, the genetic composition of man was being messed up. That's why God had to come and there were giants in the earth in those days we can study all of that out so genetic composition was being toyed with I, probably the animal kingdom was being messed with i don't know but it was all messed up god says that's it genesis 6 i'm i'm gonna, I'm gonna kill all this i'm gonna restart this over with Noah and his three sons so men were only uh, they, this is the real problem though that was all the results of what the real issue was which is why i'm in malachi and that's why i've titled this this message even this morning the heart of biblical motivation, because this book is all about the heart. Well, the problem is in Jude, the Bible tells us, I'm sorry, in Genesis 6 and verse 5, the Bible says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the, and the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. They didn't have a good thought in their heart. It was just only evil continually. Their heart was the problem. All that other stuff I just rattled off were symptoms of the real issue, and that was the heart. That was what was wrong with Israel, and God sent them some motivation. He says, listen, guys, you got to understand, annihilation is coming to those who won't repent and give me their heart. How much clearer could he make it? The Bible says in Jude, in verse 14, in Enoch, the seventh from Adam prophesied of these sayings. What sayings? The sayings about the day that we're talking about. When Jesus comes back in his wrath, he said this. Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. It's a lot of saints. And what's he going to do? Verse 15. To execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them uh, <coughs> of 
all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard, here it comes, hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You know, like those questions they keep coming back against God with in Malachi. These are murmurers and complainers walking after their own lusts and their mouths speaking great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. These are people who fear man and not God, respect men and despise God. This is like the world in which we live today. We don't have to really imagine real hard what that looks like, do we? We see it all around us. And this, is, this isn't even the big show. And so let's talk just a moment about the judgment. The proud and, and all that do wickedly, right? We, we need not look that up in the Hebrew, right? It's perfectly clear uh, who's in the crosshairs of Christ. Uh, they are stubble, right? Like a field that's been harvested, as we are very familiar with around here. And then, and then left to dry, right? It's just sitting in the hot sun, and then here comes the fire of God's wrath to burn it up. Burn it up like the stubble of a field. The next time you, you see corn or wheat stalks standing in the field, remember people who don't know God and who fight against God are like those stalks who will be cut down and burned for eternity. That shouldn't make you happy. It should make us more motivated to finish his work. But by the grace of God, there go I. Right? How many times did I hear the gospel before I received it? I wasn't grant. I wasn't I didn't need to hear it once. Right? My conscience was enough. But God gave me grace and gave me the gospel. I'm so thankful for people who share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the judgment is His comprehensive. I'm sorry. The judgment in that day will be comprehensive. The day of the Lord is a 24-hour day when Jesus returns in Revelation 19. But it begins a thousand-year day where Jesus rules and reigns with a rod of iron on this earth. Second Peter 3 and verse 8 says, But beloved, be not ignorant of one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I can still remember many years ago in my daily reading, I, I love this verse. I used to quote it all the time at the mission, uh, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some men count uh, slackness, but is long-suffering, right? And that's all true. But if you look at that passage in its context, go back and read Second uh, Peter chapter 3. What you're going to find out is that God has placed that right in the midst of a passage that says, hey, my judgment's coming. My judgment's coming. Don't, don't, don't play with me. Don't toy with me. I'm not kidding. Man, don't mistake God's gracious long-suffering for being impotent of judgment, power, and an ability to correct all the wrong of the earth. And I, and I tell you what, that is, that is definitely where the nation of Israel was at. They didn't really believe judgment was coming, part, in part because there were false prophets telling them, oh, nothing, it's all fine. Don't listen to those dispensationalists over there at 283rd Street. They're all keyed up over stuff. They, they, they believe you can rightly divide the word of God and uh, that God's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. Revelation 19 and verse 15 says, And out of, the mouth, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So at the end of the 1,000-year day of the Lord, right, he's going to come back in a literal day, uh, just like he died on the cross in a literal day. He comes back in a literal day. But then he rules and reigns for 1,000 years. Uh, and so he comes back, and that begins a time where he will rule and reign after destroying the earth uh, with fire. In Second Peter 3, the Bible says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in a holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of, here it comes, the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, uh, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. So not only at his second coming will he, uh, he will literally scorch the earth. I'll get into that here in just a moment, a little bit deeper. But also, at the end of the thousand-year period, after he judges Satan and the great white throne judgment is taken care of, he will literally purge the universe, as we just saw in Second Peter, before we go into eternity future. 
Now, a lot of people don't really grasp hold of all of that, and that's cool, but God puts all this in his Bible so we can understand it. There's a lot of implications to the coming of Jesus Christ and the rule and his reign on earth. And his last words in the Old Testament, as he was finishing up his, his, uh, his message to the, Mal- to, the, to the folks of Israel in Malachi, is simply what you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger says, I'll be back. Right? That's all it is. I'll be back. That's all it, he's just saying in his own way, I'll be back. And he's going to mean business when he comes. And so knowing Jesus is returning in his wrath to judge the proud and the wicked should produce, it should produce some biblical motivation. Not only for the condemned, obviously, that's the object. We want to see people saved, but for the redeemed of the Lord. Amen? Yeah, I think so, maybe. Yeah. I'm not going to manipulate an amen. But I want us to think about that, what I just said. Right? If we really believe this book and we really believe what's coming, man, that is enough biblical motivation to get us where we need to go. Okay, so let's talk about salvation because salvation, annihilation is a strong motivation, but so is salvation, right? Salvation should serve as a biblical motivation. In verses 2 and 3, he says, But unto you that fear my name, somebody is following Jesus, shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall, and ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the, the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. So here we have the Son of Righteousness. Who is the Son of Righteousness? Jesus, right? We just did the whole Easter service, right, based on that theme. Jesus, the Son of Righteousness, the sunrise service, the whole thing, right? We, we get that, right? You guys know that. You're Bible students. All right, so this is the only place in the Scripture, the Son of the Son. Uh, with a capital S, is the proper noun, and it is a thumb in the eye of all the pagan gods and the demons uh, that demand worship of the Son. And you can go back and listen to my Easter service. I talked about that. Jesus not only returns to annihilate sin, but he returns to save those who fear his name. So let's talk a little bit about the time frame. In Malachi 4, verses 2 through 3, it occurs seven years after the catching away of the church. At the end of the fulfillment of Daniel's 70th week prophesied in Daniel chapter 9, specifically down around verse 27. So Jesus saves Israel from destruction. Now, obviously, I'm, not, I'm talking very, uh, very doctrinally what this passage is talking about. This is about the salvation of those uh, that are uh, the nation of Israel. This is who Malachi is addressing his letter to. And so he will save Israel from destruction literally from the Antichrist, at the end of the coming period of Jacob's trouble. This is a prophecy first to Israel. But Jesus will return to save a remnant of Israel that have heard the message of the 144,000 and believed it, received it, and endured great tribulation, many of whom will have suffered death as well. And Jesus, Jesus speaks of all of this in, in detail. You can go back and read Matthew 24. In Matthew 24:13, this is what he, he summarizes it to. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. There's only two options. You die trying, or God will give you some grace to endure to the end and be saved. They will not take the mark of the beast. They will be pure from, from that world system that's to come uh, after the catching away of the church. Matthew 24, 13 speaks to that. He will not only save Israel, but he will also heal the Gentile nations. As much as this is about Israel, God has prophecies all over the Old Testament uh, that he wants, to, he wants to work with all the nations. He's always wanted the whole world to be blessed and saved. The Gentile nations are there for a reason, right? And so he wants to, he will bless them. In Matthew 24, 14, he says, And the gospel of this kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations. Now, isn't it interesting? That is the gospel. That, this is not the gospel that we preach. We, we, we preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that gospel will be preached, right, that he's coming, and you better repent just like a guy named John the Baptist was preaching, right? And it's going to be preached all over the world by 144,000 Jewish males. Now, the issue is, one of the reasons why we get taken out of here, beloved, is the judgment of God upon the church because we don't do what we're called to do, which is get the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Our job is to go global. Yeah, we should go local, but we got to go global. we got to do it all. And that's what we're all about the business of doing here at HBF. If you're wondering about what our mission statement is about equipping the saints of God and the word of God to accomplish the mission of God and the power of God, I've just given you the motivation. 
People are dying and going to hell. We're saved. Saved people need to take the gospel everywhere. And the gospel we have is way better than what's coming. <laughs> uh, endure to the end and be saved is not the gospel that I want to be preaching, right? Uh, and that's not the gospel we preach. We preach trust Jesus Christ and his shed blood, his finished work on the cro cross. Trust him today and you shall be saved. Why? Because the wrath of God that, would, that we deserve has already been placed on Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. So by faith, we trust Jesus Christ and his finished work. And we call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says we are saved. It is literally the greatest deal ever. I mean, it is the gospel. When you say good news, man, that is the good news. But once the catching away of the church comes, man, the whole thing changes. And God's wrath is coming, and God's economy changes, his government changes, and the devil knows it, and he's, and he is gonna, he's gonna bring it, because the only way that he can get back in charge, is so sad to say, is wrest the power from those he created, because they have turned on him, with the help of Satan. But without Satan, they'd turn on him anyway. The millennium will prove that out. So Malachi chapter 4, and verses 2 through 3, it's a dual, dual fulfillment. In the coming time of tribulation, this will occur in one day. Of course, Jesus Christ will come back in one literal day, Matthew chapter, or Revelation 19, 11 through 21. And just before Jesus returns in Revelation 19, he will pour out his vile judgments upon the world. You know, every great, com every great war, right, every great battle, let me say it that way, every great battle has, a, has you know, you always have the, uh, what do you call that? The, uh, I want to say mortars, but what do you call it when you barrage them? Uh, huh? Artillery, that's the word I'm looking for. Every, every great conflict, every great battle has an, usually, usually has an artillery barrage, right? And they just bombard each other just to death, right? And then they send in the troops. Well, you want to soften them up. So God softens them up. In the Bible, that's called the vile judgment, right? Before he comes back, he's going to soften it up down here on this planet. Uh, because the whole, the whole conflict before, between Satan and and God is going to be focused on one planet called Earth and one city called Jerusalem. And uh, it's going to go down. And so it's going to be a terrible time. So Revelation chapter 16 gives us insights. Just before Jesus returns in Revelation 19, he will pour out his vile judgments upon the world. Revelation 16 speaks to these judgments upon all the earth. Now, I've already mentioned that the first part of Satan's uh, faux uh, kingdom, in, in you can go back to Revelation uh, chapter um, uh, 6, and look at this, it comes with peace. He comes in as a white horse rider, false peace, and then the four horsemen come. In that time, there's a third of the earth is, is a third and a third and a third and a third. A third of things get destroyed, but not all of it. Before Jesus comes back, it's not a third of the earth. It's all of the earth. A lot of times people conflate those two because they miss the point. Everything Jesus does, Satan is emulating. He has a false second coming he has a false miracles he has false destruction of the earth but when jesus comes back it's all going down this prophecy that, that he's talking about when he talks about he's gonna he's coming after folks and people are gonna burn he's not kidding i'm gonna give you the verses so it's not just don't you don't take my word for it i'm gonna tell you what the bible says now let me just run through some things you can look these references up if you go back in revelation 16 all seven vials are laid out for you the first thing you'll see in, in revelation 16 2 is grievous source will be upon all the men who have taken the mark of the beast. And then this next thing is every living soul uh, will die in the sea. Um, and then in verse 3, and then all the rivers will, and that's because it all, the, the waters turn to blood. All the rivers of the world become blood, Revelation 16, 4 through 7. Uh, the sun becomes blazing hot and scorches the men of the earth, and they still will not repent, it says in Revelation 16, 8 through 9. The kingdom of the beast is directly attacked, uh, with darkness and agonizing pain, like you saw in, in, uh, in uh, the book of Exodus in Egypt, and agonizing pain and sores, and they still won't repent, Revelation 16, 10 through 11. Then after that, the satanic trinity of the dragon, which is Satan, the beast, and the false prophet go to all the kings of the earth doing miracles that compel them to come and gather in a valley called Armageddon, which is there to this day. Uh, Pastor Steve and Luke were over there just a couple years ago. And they will gather all together. You know who they're going to gather to fight? You guessed it, Jesus Christ. Uh, they're going to gather that up. And then just before the return of Christ, the greatest earthquake that the earth has ever seen will occur as Jerusalem is divided in thirds and the topography of the earth changes in preparation for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to the planet in his just wrath. 
As the destruction is occurring, great hail falls upon the earth. The size of these hailstones, it says, is about a talent's weight. That's 75 pounds per stone flying down on the planet. Can you imagine? Yeah, that's some serious artillery coming in. And uh, it's going to be crazy. Revelations. Now you say, Brian, you're crazy. Guys, I just report the news. I don't make it. Revelation 16, 17 through, 24, uh, 17 through 21. Now I want to read this to you, this, this last part, because this is a parallel account giving full mention uh, from chapter, I'm sorry, Revelation 6, chapter, uh, verses, chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. The same account in another place, giving us a full mention of, of this account. Revelation 6, 12 says, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, so the sixth seal correlates with this, this, uh, this seventh vial, okay? So they, they occur at the same time. He says, I beheld when he opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken as a mighty wind. And heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. I mean, this is a major earthquake. Um, <clears throat> and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and all the bondmen, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. Gentle Jesus comes back as a mighty warrior. For the great, here it comes, the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Now, when I was a lost young man, I read that passage, and for the first time, I saw myself in Scripture, and it wasn't as a Christian. That is the passage that God used to get me saved, because I was wicked, because I was vile, because I was questioning God. God said, okay, Brian, since you won't receive the goodness of God, how many times have I told you the gospel? Let me show you a little bit about my wrath. And no, I had no really understanding of the book of Revelation. I didn't understand. You said the word dispensation. I just said quit cussing. I didn't understand any of that. I tell you this. I understood this, that I was in the crosshairs of Almighty God's wrath. I'd never seen Jesus like that before. And that's what moved me to get saved. Not everybody gets saved like that, but I did. I was ready to receive his goodness once I saw his, his wrath. And I did. Through all this destruction, a remnant of the Jews survived to give glory to God as his great destruction falls on the earth. You know, Mark Zuckerberg's not going to make it if he's not saved. Jeff Bezos ain't going to make it if he's not saved. All these cats running the world, they ain't going to make it if they're not saved. Revelation 11.13 says, In the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city, this is talking about Jerusalem, fell, and in the earthquake were slain of men 7,000, and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to God of heaven. There's a remnant. There's a remnant. God will spare a remnant. Just as in every great war, the troops charge in to defeat the enemy after the initial onslaught of the artillery, God's artillery. This is the day of the Lord spoken throughout the scriptures I've mentioned. And if you have your Bibles, you might turn over to Revelation 19 just so you can see what this day looks like. Revelation 19. Look at verse 11, Revelation 19 and verse 11. We'll read it together quickly. I've got to keep moving here. But it says, Revelation 19, 11, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness does he judge and make war. This is Revelation 19, 11. Now I'm in verse 12. His eyes were as a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it it should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he that treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper 
of the great God, that ye shall eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on, on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies, where they gathered in Armageddon, gathered together to make war against him that sat on, his, on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, uh, with which he deceived them uh, that received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of, of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, uh, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Man, that is a heavy, heavy pas- passage. This is where the promise of salvation comes to those who fear his name. The Old Testament saints who trusted in Christ will return with us, and this prophecy of Malachi 4.3 will be fulfilled. Literally, and ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. After the marriage supper of the Lamb, we will, we will gird up and return, and we will rule and reign with Christ. In the millennium, this will occur in a millennial day. There's kind of a dual fulfillment here as well. That day, as we've mentioned, not only signifies the day that Jesus Christ returns and takes control of the earth, but also then he, he heals the nations, right? He comes with healing in his wings. For a thousand years, he restores this planet after this great battle. And that will occur in a millennial day. A day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. It's clear that Jesus returns, and he will have a healing in his wings before he heals he judges the earth, as we've just witnessed in Scripture, and he sets up this thousand-year reign that you can find in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 5. The healing that is referred to in Malachi 4.2 will be on display in the millennial reign of Christ. Jesus will establish his temple in Jerusalem, and a small stream of living water will flow out of that throne through the temple property to form a great stream that turns into a mighty river that flows into the ocean, literally bringing healing to the earth. All the environmental concerns that are being used to put man under bondage this very day, this, that plan's already underway, is all going to be trumped and thrown over, and the Lord Jesus Christ will return, and, and he will bring environmental health in the millennium. You can go back and read Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 1 through 12, and get the download on that. The animal kingdom will also be at peace. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6 says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the, and the uh, fatling uh, together, and the little child shall lead them, and the cow, cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. What was once, um, what is that, carnivorous becomes omnivorous, right? And they, so they go from eating meat and flesh to eating grass. That's going to be crazy. You see lions grazing, and it'll be like, wow. Are they sick? My dog only eats grass when they're sick, right? So it's going to be wild. And so the, the suckling child shall play on the hole of the ass, right? That's a poisonous snake. And the weaned child shall put his hand into the cockatrice den. The animal kingdom will be at peace with the human kingdom because Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning on this earth. And there will be no more war. Hallelujah. Malachi chapter 4, verse 3. And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations. Or this is Micah, I'm sorry. Micah 4.3. And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts, hosts has spoken it. Today, the United Nations has a very, that very verse, right? They're going to stop all the wars on the, on the planet. You're kidding yourself. Since the League of Nations and the United Nations, there's been more wars than the world's ever seen. Are you kidding? The only one that's going to stop the war is Jesus Christ, because he's going to win it. He's already won the war for sin, and then he'll literally come back and establish uh, his kingdom on this earth. In eternity future, all the, pro- the, the proceeds... I'm sorry, in the eternity future, all of this precedes God's renovation of the universe that we read about in, in uh, Peter's epistle. At the end of the millennium, when Satan is loose for a season, he's allowed to deceive the nations who will follow him in one last battle against the ruling Lord and, and Savior Jesus Christ. This will not last seven years, but in quickly as the holy city is surrounded and Jesus simply torches everyone 
who stands against him and proceed to the great white throne judgment. You can find that in Revelation chapter 20. After dispatching Satan, his falling angels, and all of Adam's fallen race who chose to follow God, who chose not to follow God, I should say, he will then renovate the heavens and the earth and begin once again to bring healing to the planet and the universe in Revelation chapter 21. It's then we see that what was set up on earth in the millennium was simply a picture of what God has been doing in the third heaven as he sat on his throne. Because in Revelation 22 and verse 1, the Bible says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, on either side of the river, there was a tree of life. We haven't seen that since the Garden of Eden, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielding her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing, for the healing, for the healing of the nations. Amen. He restores it all. Now, guys, I just gave you a lot of Bible. What's all this about? What's this annihilation and salvation all about? Well, let me let me finish up here. Last point. It's about restoration. Restoration should be a biblical motivation. When you look at the big picture and you understand what God's doing, man, I tell you what, you better get busy about finishing his work. It's about restoring, as, as Randy likes to point out, the lost image of, of Christ in man, right? Christ is the image of God. When we trust Christ as our Savior, he comes in us literally and quickens us and makes us a new creature. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 4 says, Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb, for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send unto you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now, I got a lot more to say about this passage, and you're not going to get it today because your, your minds are full and I'm out of time. But let me just give you a few more thoughts before we conclude. There's two names here that you need to highlight in your Bible and think about. The first one is Moses, and the second one is Elijah. Remember the law of Moses, he says. Remember Moses, and then behold, Elijah. This is pregnant with meaning to the Jews who will be seeking to follow Christ in the coming tribulation. The Jews have been given a prophecy in Zechariah chapter 4, verses 2 through 10, of two olive branches, which come from two olive trees, which, rep- which represent two anointed ones, as they're stated in Zechariah 4 and verse 14. Then said he in Zechariah 4:14, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. This prophecy comes to fruition in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 3. These two witnesses are given power for 1,260 days to witness against Antichrist. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 3 says, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, as Elijah did, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. They have power over the waters to turn into blood. We've all talked, seen that about the vials, right? There's things going to turn, the water's going to turn into blood. Uh, that's going to be just like Moses. Uh, and, when, and then they shall finish their testimony. The beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit, he's going to make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, which is Jerusalem, where also our Lord Jesus, our Lord was crucified, I should say, not Jesus. Our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and the kindreds and the tongues and the nations shall see the dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. They're going to lie in state. Everybody's going to be celebrating, it says in Revelation. And it goes on to say, And they that dwell on the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them. And they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon all them that saw them. So what's going to happen is these two witnesses are going to resurrect in the middle of the tribulation period after they've been killed by Antichrist, after 1,260 days. It's no accident that God asked Israel to remember Moses and Elijah. These two witnesses possess the same miraculous power, beloved, as Moses and Elijah. 
uh, they, they picture the Jews in the tribulation as well. Moses, who God gave the law to, died in the wilderness. But God claimed his body over the dispute of Satan. In Jude chapter, or well, chapter 1, there's only one chapter, verse 9. Moses pictures the Jews who suffer and die in the tribulation because they don't take the mark of the beast. But they'll literally see Moses in the tribulation. Elijah was caught up by a chariot of God and left his disciple behind, right? Elisha, who had doubled the spirit upon him. These, these, I have no doubt that these two witnesses will greatly influence the 144,000 Jewish male virgins. And Elisha was caught up. At the end of the tribulation, there'll be some, the, the Jews will be, uh, the, those, that, those 144,000 will be caught up. And we will see them at our marriage supper with the Lamb. I mean, this stuff is incredible, what God is prophesying in the Bible. And so it's amazing. So in the coming tribulation, man, remembering Moses and the miraculous provision will serve as a motivation through the very difficult time of, of the coming tribulation. Perhaps a Jew is listening to this or will listen to it after the catching away of the church and it might give them a clue. I don't know. But beholding the power of Elijah to stand along with Moses against the power of Satan himself will encourage the tribulation saints, listen, to have a heart for their fathers. Right? A heart like the, their fathers in the Old Testament. And next week when we get together, we're going to look further into this, this heart, having a heart of biblical restoration, because that is a message unto itself. So the last words are important. The last words of the New Testament say this, right? Last words, that's what we talked about. That's what I've titled this message, though the one on your bulletin is different, because that was last week. All right? Last words are important. Listen to what the last words are of the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verse 20. Or 22 and verse 20, it says, He that testifies to these things says, Surely I come quickly. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. This is a meaty message. Amen. This is like a big, fat, meaty message. I told you I was going to come back after Easter and give you a little bit more depth. I still got more to go. But I want you to get this. In 2 Thessalonians, it warns us of a time. When men will not receive the love of the truth. Right? We know the Lord's coming quickly. That's why I'm, I'm focusing on finishing his work. Because the gospel that we preach will go silent when we're gone. Beloved, now is the time. Second Thessalonians 2 says this in verse 10. And, and, and with, there's coming a time when people will simply choose tribulation over grace. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the, here comes, the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they shall believe a lie, that they might be damned who believe not in the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. There's coming a day when people will be deceived, they'll be beguiled, they will reap what they've sown. And God has given us biblical motivation this morning. He's provided for us, well, an escape. You know, this letter in Malachi opens with a declaration. Remember that? I have loved you, saith the Lord. Man, that message is not any truer. Today. I mean, this is more true today than ever. When we say, Jesus, God has loved us, right? Right, John 3.16 says, God so loved, past tense, the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I tell you, there's not a greater time in the world. I, I just can't tell you guys how important it is to receive the love of the truth. God loves us. He gave his son for us. He wants us to receive him. So if you're under the sound of my voice and you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I, when I say today is the day of salvation, I am really not kidding. Because time is running out. You say, well, he might not come, Jesus might not come for another 100 years, another 1,000 years. Well, okay, time's running out. Because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so, beloved, it's so important. And for the saints, of course, that's the choir, right? All of us. This is just one more thing as we wrap up this week on talking about finishing his work. As we wrap up this passage in Malachi and we think about what time it is. Man, it's so important that we share the love of the truth. If all this prophecy just bogs your brain down, that's cool. You've got plenty of time to learn it. 
What's most important is we learn to tell people that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, died a horrible death in our place, rose again the third day, and is alive right now and available to all who will call upon his name. That's what we're all about. Amen? Let's stand together in an attitude of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to look at this passage and to just examine the biblical motivation of annihilation, salvation, and restoration. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that we would understand that it is our job as advocates to take the gospel of Christ everywhere that you've called us to go. Lord, give us biblical motivation. Help us to love you and love others. Lord, fulfill that great commandment so that we can offer that great invitation, Lord. You want to call people to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning as we, conc- as we conclude in prayer that you would do your work in your way. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around as we stand. Is there anyone that would say, Brian, I do need to be saved today. This message is to me, for me, and I need to trust Jesus Christ. It's not really a strong gospel message, but if, if, that's, if it's hitting you, so be it. Anybody say, Brian, I, I need to be saved. Just raise your hand where you are. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to know who you are so I can talk to you. I do want to connect with you. Anybody at all? Last several weeks, we've had many people raise their hands. All right. How many of you would just say, hey, I am saved. Hallelujah to you. And praise God. You know it. If you don't know it, you need to settle it. And, uh, and you need to know. The Bible says you can know that you have eternal life. It's John chapter 5. The Bible gives us everything that we need. So as we stand here before the Lord Jesus Christ, are we ready for his coming? Amen. I'm ready to get out of here. But hey, what will we be found doing when he comes? I pray that we won't be arguing against him. I pray to God that we will be working with him. I pray that our heart will be knit with his heart and he will find a, a spotless bride at Heartland Baptist Fellowship, a group of people who love God and love one another. And man, if there's anything getting in the way of that, let's make it right. Let's make it right. Anybody says, Brian, I need to make it right. Well, make it right. If you need, maybe you need to answer a call. Maybe you need to get saved, baptized, whatever. We got people waiting at the altar. They can come and pray with you. If you need to step out, step out. We'll just be silent for just a few moments. Heavenly Father, I just pray for your saints. I pray for your church. I pray for myself, Lord. I don't. I want to be ready when you come and catch us away. Lord, help us be found being busy about your work. Lord, I know our church is tired. We've had a very busy several weeks, really months, leading up to the conference. And Lord, it is time to take a little rest. But Lord, I pray as we rest, Lord, we, we would remember not to quit not to get sidelined, not to get distracted, but to realize that, Lord, we're just about to the finish line. Lord, help us to stay focused on the mark. Help us to run our race and finish our course. Oh, Heavenly Father, help us to remember that there are still people who will receive the love of the truth if we'll simply tell them, if we'll simply share with them, if we simply ask to have a conversation, if we share the truth of your word and keep the conversation going. Oh, Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the fruit literally around the world that has come uh, from just doing that very thing through this very ministry. And we pray, God, that when you come, you'll find us faithful and that you will be glorified. I pray, God, for your saints. I pray for the hurting. Lord, thank you for your healing. It's good to see Sharon here today, Sharon Familiner. Good to see old friends back. I, I saw the Fagans here. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for literally bringing a healing to many people and a, an assurance of health physically. That Lord, I pray, God, we would all go forth and share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ of his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that we would get the gospel where it needs to go while we have time. For your honor, for your glory, for your kingdom's sake. We thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, now that we've been motivated... (laughs) from the Bible. Let's let's look and see. Um, I want to highlight some things in our bulletin announcement. Uh, there are many, many ways that we can engage. I was thinking about the message this morning. Obviously, it's talking about the second coming of the Lord, but this, this annihilation, salvation, and restoration is the message that we have in the gospel to go, go to people, to say, because of coming judgment, there is salvation today, and there's restoration that can come uh, for you. I, 
I was um, leaving the church yesterday morning and in a hurry to get somewhere, and God just uh, touched my heart. I saw a guy who just looked kind of downtrodden over here at uh, Saps, and I drove right past, and, and God just touched my heart, so I was like, okay, I better turn around. Didn't have a lot of time, but I just, I said, can I, can I hand you um, something to read? can I pray for you? He goes, no, I don't need any prayer, but I'll, I'll definitely take what you have to read. And so sometimes you may not have time or think, oh, I'm too busy or this or that, but, but just listen to the Lord and either with your mouth, sharing the word or handing out a track, God wants to use you right now. So um, now that we've received proper biblical motivation from the message that God gave us today, what are some other ways that we can engage? I want to highlight a few things in the bulletin, so maybe you are not a member of our church, you're a prospective member. Um, we have a new members uh, class, actually today, in room 119, right after church, lunch is provided, so come hear more about HBF and how you can engage and become a member. Next week, uh, um, after service, there is a VBS meeting with Chris and, and Lauren Cohen, so you can learn how to engage in that ministry with Vacation Bible School. So that's the 25th, next Sunday after church, meeting right here in the sanctuary. Um, since I'm here, um, I'm also going to mention Team Zambia. So Dan and Jan Jalowick, the first prayer meeting, prayer support meeting will be 